0: All right, so uh, today we'll be talking about repentance. um, And I have this book giveaway, as Trey said. Um, Parker wants it, so uh, I think he'll get it. Um, That book is uh, titled The Doctrine of Repentance by Thomas Watson. It's one of the suggested readings on the handout there. And um, basically everything we'll be covering today is uh, from that book, pretty much. So, I definitely recommend reading it if you want to go more in-depth into what we're talking about today. Um, it's a pretty easy read. As far as Puritan paperbacks go, it's pretty much the easiest that I know of. So, um, yeah. So, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, we pray that as we consider the topic of repentance today, um, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would open our eyes and our ears to the truth of sin into the truth of the gospel, and that we would turn away from our sin into Christ daily, daily repenting um, and taking this seriously in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, Amen. All right. So the Bible often uses the word repent or repentance, but what does that mean exactly? For example, Jesus begins his ministry in Mark by saying this. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repentance is also used throughout the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, where God, through his prophets, repeatedly asks Israel to repent from their sins. And beyond the Bible, it is a word that you have probably heard thrown around at UBC a lot. But maybe many of y'all would identify with how I felt the first year that I was a Christian. I knew what repentance meant. I knew that it involved turning away from sin Um, and I knew it involved trusting in Christ, but I had no clue about how to repent. I imagine some of you might be in the same boat. Others of you might know a good deal about how to repent, but it is more just a, a concept, a mental concept, than an actual regular practice of repentance. But hear me on this. Regardless of which camp you fall into, it is critical that you correctly know how to repent and that you apply this knowledge because faith in Jesus alone, without turning from sin, is a dead faith. The author of Hebrews warns us in Hebrews 10.26 that if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. This means that we shouldn't expect to spend eternity with God in heaven if we don't repent, because that would indicate that we were never true Christians to begin with. True repentance will always accompany true faith. Thomas Watson, the Puritan who wrote the book I just handed out, Doctrine of Repentance, said this, Faith and repentance are the two wings by which a Christian flies to heaven. And if you look at your handout, you see that in the EBC Statement of Faith, which is essentially just a brief summary of the beliefs that our congregation has decided are either essential to believe, to be a Christian, or together together as a church body, faith and repentance are actually defined in the same sentence. Uh, Alex, could you read... That statement. We believe that repentance and faith are sacred duties, and also inseparable graces, wrought in our souls by the regenerating spirit of God, whereby being deeply convicted of our guilt, danger, and hopelessness, and of the way of salvation by Christ, we turn to God with genuine sorrow and confession and supplication for mercy, at the same time, heartily receiving the Lord Jesus Christ and relying upon Him alone for salvation. All right. Thank you, Alex. So that um, statement is a lot of big words, but we'll break it down. So you'll see that a statement affirms that repentance without faith is actually false repentance. And it also affirms that repentance, repentance is not something done by our own effort. Instead, it says that repentance and faith are, quote, graces wrought in our souls by the regenerating spirit of God. The word wrought simply means worked or created. So repentance is not something that we create or work on our own. We're actually c- completely unable to repent on our own. Repentance and faith are only possible as a grace, that is, a gift from God by the Holy Spirit once he regenerates us, that is, makes us born again. And in doing so, it transforms our wills, will, desires, and affections and our ability to obey God. But all of this just begs the question, how do you repent? If this is not something that you can do on your own, it's a grace from God, and must be created in you by the Holy Spirit, then how do you repent? This is a dilemma here. Well, first off, we must understand that God ordains both the means and the ends of repentance. This means that God creates repentance. Part of how God creates repentance in you is by you repenting. Right? Secondly, we also see that the Bible gives us a picture of what true godly repentance looks like. And true godly repentance always includes six ingredients. Um, and we'll go, by those six, go through those six ingredients one by one for the rest of this talk. For some of these ingredients, I'll also briefly discuss how someone could appear to have one of these ingredients, but it actually shows, it demonstrates counterfeit repentance in them. Uh, and I did, not, I did not make these six ingredients of repentance up. This comes from that book again, which I handed out, um, And I would highly recommend this book, again, if uh, you want to go more in-depth about what we're talking about today. And a final side note before we begin, if you look back at that statement of faith, the EBC statement of faith, everything we're going to be talking about for the rest of today, um, the six ingredients of repentance, uh, is basically summarized in that statement of faith. So what I'm saying is also not just me or not just from Thomas Watson, but it's also doctrine that is affirmed by our congregation. So the first ingredient, uh, ingredient number one, is the sight of sin. This ingredient is arguably the most important ingredient of repentance. You have it there in your handout, sight of sin. This is simply being aware of your own sin and that you are a sinner. And this is the first thing that any new Christian should expect to receive as a grace from the Holy Spirit when he first becomes a Christian, once you are born again. If someone is not aware that he or she is a sinner, not only will it be impossible for that person to repent, but that person is revealing that that they're probably not even a believer, right? If you are a believer, you should know that you are a sinner and see at least some of your own sin, probably. Before you can put trust in Christ as your savior, you need to know why he needs to save you, right? And that is from your own sin. Thomas Watson puts it this way, before a man can come to Christ, he must come to himself. He must first recognize and consider what his sin is and know the plague of his heart before he can be truly humbled for it. And though the sight of sin is a gift from the Holy Spirit, God has given us several means by which he often reveals sin to us, which we can actively participate in. These are called the ordinary means of grace. You may have heard me use this phrase before if you ever heard me talking. I like saying that phrase. The first ordinary means of grace is the reading of God's word. The more you read God's word, if you have been born again, the more the Holy Spirit will show you sin in your own life. Another ordinary means of grace is similar to this, the preaching of God's word. The more you sit under God's word preached, the more you see, will see and be convicted of sin in your own life. Uh, if you think back to well, it's not last week anymore, it's three weeks ago, but three weeks ago, Trey taught us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Um, God, by His Spirit, uses His Word to penetrate to your heart, convict you of your sin, and conform you to the image of Christ. In order to see your sin, which is the first step of repentance, you need to be reading God's Word and sitting regularly under His Word preached. And then a third ordinary means of grace is prayer. And prayer is simply the means by which God has given us where He can align our will, where we can align our will to His will. He will be faithful to reveal sin in your life if you pray, asking Him to do so. Uh, but know this: God has not designed these ordinary means of grace um, as exclusively individual practices. They are often individual. But also God has designed these so that we often learn about our own sins by people calling them out or by sitting under the preached word and hearing, being convicted of sin, or corporate prayer. So this is one benefit of being in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ in a local church and under the spiritual authority of elders. So it is vital for you to be a member of a local church as well um, for repentance, specifically for sight of sin even. Next, the second ingredient of repentance is sorrow for sin. This is more than simply just being sad about the fact that you sinned, though it is being sad. But godly sorrow is a sorrow that fully understands that your sin is directly responsible for Jesus Christ's gruesome death on the cross and Father's wrath being poured out on him. And if you love Christ, that should tear you apart, that you're responsible for his own death. The Bible affirms again and again that a heart posture of sorrow is what the Lord looks for primarily in repentance, not in the actions where you try to make things right with God on your own. David writes in Psalm 51:17, for example, that the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit and a broken and humbled heart. Even in the Old Testament, when God set up a system of animal sacrifices by which the people of Israel could pay for their sins— The kind of repentance God was truly looking for was that they would have broken and humbled hearts, as David indicated in that psalm, full of sorrow for having offended God. The animal sacrifices were meant to foreshadow the truth that sins had to be paid for somehow, and they ultimately pointed forward to Jesus' sacrifice in our place for our sins. However, we also must watch out for false sorrow. Think about when you were a child and your parents put you in timeout for doing something wrong? Did you ever start sobbing and just throwing a fit and getting all upset? Why were you so upset? Chances were you were upset because you got in trouble or because there were consequences for breaking the rules. You didn't wanna stay in timeout for five minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is. You probably weren't upset because you had offended your parents' authority and uh, disrespected them. The same cannot be true with us when we face consequences for our own sin. Indeed, God often punishes us with various consequences for our sin, um, even doing so through authority structures like parents, the church, even the state, if we were to go to jail for a crime. We often face consequences for our own sin, and it can be painful and sad, and um, we can hate that. But In response to facing these consequences, people often do appear very sorrowful. But to know if this reveals true repentance, you need to make sure that they are sorrowful because they've offended the holy God, not because they are facing consequences. And even those of us who are Christians are not immune from this problem, we can often struggle with our sorrow being rightly placed. Are we really sorrowful because we face consequences and because... uh, our life is worse now, or are we sorrowful because we've offended God? You should always examine why you were upset about your sin and remind yourself that if you love Christ, you should feel sorrow for your sin because it is what caused him to be put to death in the first place. Next, ingredient number three of repentance is confession of sin. This ingredient, confession of sin, naturally follows from sorrow for sin. If you feel truly sorry that you offended the Holy God and nailed Jesus to the cross with your sin, you should have a natural impulse to confess this to him and to apologize for it. Not only does confession naturally follow from being sorry for your sin, but God has even designed it so that it can relieve the deep anguish that we feel about having offended him. Think about it this way. If you have ever had strong emotions, you have probably experienced that it is not healthy to bottle them up and keep them secret from everyone. We can often, we often cannot deal with emotions on our own. We usually need to uh, talk to somebody about them and get it out instead of bottling it up. And the same goes for sin. When we confess our sin, uh, we are not keeping that inside and relying on ourselves to fix our problem, but we are opening it up to God and acknowledging that we are a broken sinner who needs his help. And also, when you confess your sins, you should not only do so in prayer to God, but also confess it to another Christian, because sin thrives in the darkness but dies in the light, so you should bring your sin into the light. God uses other Christians and their accountability as one of the means in our lives by which sin is killed, but this will be impossible if we never take the step to confess our sin to them in the first place. And also, if you have sinned, if your sin is against another person specifically, you need to confess that to them because that is the way that God has established by which you make that right with them, is by confessing that you sinned against them, and ultimately that reflects Christ because you're showing that you're humbling yourself and saying, um, "I don't care about my own pride. I'm going to humble myself and acknowledge that I was in the wrong and I sinned against you." If you don't confess your sin to others, that is not only spiritually harmful to your soul, but it really demonstrates great pride, which is at odds with um, how we should be as Christians. However, we must also note that confession is one of the most abused ingredients of repentance that there is. You must be very careful about the motive for confessing your sins. For example, you might think confession is a way to get back in God's good graces. Just like if you were starting a business and lose all your money, you'll be what's called in the red. And you have to make enough money again to be back in the black, right? And you might likewise think that since God, since sin puts you in the red with God, that confessing your sin is what you need to do to get you back in the black, back afloat. But you should never think of confession like this. That is what's called works righteousness, and it is the opposite of the gospel. Thinking this way will only harm you spiritually, in fact, since it is the opposite of the gospel, it, thinking this way cannot save you. The truth is that we are all in the red, so to speak, with God because of our sin, and nothing we can do can get us out of the, out of the red and back into black. God is holy, and he cannot tolerate any sin, so nothing we can, nothing we can do, including confessing, including confessing our sin, can put us back in God's good graces. But Christ, the Son of God, who is the second person of the Trinity, came to live on earth as a man, living a perfect life without sin in our place and then dying in our place um, on our behalf, taking God's wrath for our sin and his punishment for our sin on himself um, so that we can be reconciled to God not by our own repentance, not by our own confession, but by uh, the merit, by the virtue of Christ and how he was perfect And how he was always in the black, never in the red. He puts us back in um, God's good graces by union with him. And we can do this um, if we repent, which we were talking about today about how to do that and all about that today. But if we repent and have faith in this Christ, um, then we can be back in God's good graces, not by our own even repentance or faith in Christ. That's not how it even works. It's through Christ and only because of him specifically. And faith is just a means by which we believe in him and are united to him. And um, if you repent from your sins and trust in Christ, you have been declared right in God's eyes by his perfect righteousness. So you don't have to worry about confessing to get back in God's good graces again and again and again. Your account with God will be forever for eternity in the black Um, because of the infinite value of Christ's perfect righteousness. For Christians, confession is not a way to get back in right standing with God, but instead it is a way to humble ourselves before our creator and before others and acknowledge that we have messed up and rebelled against him or sinned against others and recognize that we deserve eternal separation from God for that. But in that moment, we also recognize that Christ is our only hope and we cling to him with every fabric of our being. With faith and trusting in him. Next, the fourth ingredient of repentance is shame for sin. This one is countercultural and even the opposite of what you might hear from many Christians or in many churches, but it makes total sense. If you love God, you should feel shame for rebelling against him and sinning against him. Thomas Watson puts it simply enough when he writes, Every sin makes us guilty, and guilt usually breeds shame. Captain Obvious there, Thomas Watson. Guilt usually breeds shame. Indeed, think about it. If a friend were to call you out on hurting them in some way, and they had a good point, like you did hurt them, you offended them, you you made them feel bad, most likely you would feel shame and guilt after hurting your friend. So why shouldn't you have the same feeling after we sin against God and rebel against him? We should feel shame for that. But unfortunately, this aspect of repentance has largely been lost today. Christians, rightly so, often emphasize that our only standing before God is found in Christ, as we were just discussing, and that Christ makes us new creations. So instead of feeling guilt and shame, we should just feel set free and liberated by Christ. But this ultimately misunderstands what Christian freedom is once we're born again, and, and it is not what Paul talks about or what he means when he talks about Christian freedoms and uh, Romans, for example, about how we have freedom in Christ. This freedom instead is when instead of being a captive to sin, we actually have the ability to put our sins to death now by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have the desire to do what is right instead of to sin. John Piper puts it well in this quote. When you are transformed in Christ, you love to do what you should do. That is freedom. If you love to do what you should do, it makes sense that you'll feel ashamed if you instead do what you shouldn't do. You don't love that. You love to do what you should do as a Christian. But uh, one warning, be careful not to wallow in your shame as well. You should feel shame, but also be careful not to wallow in your shame Um, if you're a Christian. The shame should instead reveal how broken you are and thus reveal how much you need Christ. So you should turn to Christ instead of wallowing in your shame. As one pastor named Alistair Begg put it, maturity in Christian living has its beginning in the awareness of what you are not. So turn to Christ, realizing what you are not and that you are incomplete. The next ingredient is hatred of sin. Number five, after you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit will change your affection so that you love to do what you should do, as John Paper said. And by the end, once we reach heaven, the Holy Spirit will have sanctified us so much that we will completely hate sin. Once you're, we are united with Christ in heaven, we will be without sin and we will completely hate it. But while we're still on earth, we're still fighting sin. We're still fighting the flesh and the devil inside ourselves, as we have talked about in previous weeks a Nine. But importantly, the hatred for sin you have as believers should increasingly uh, go up. You should increasingly have more hatred for sin, um, and it should not exist alone, but you should increasingly have more hatred for sin because you increasingly love Christ. Thomas Watson nails it when he writes, Sound repentance begins in a love of God, and the love of Christ, and ends in the hatred of sin. The more you love Christ, the more you'll hate sin. But loving Christ, and likewise hating sin, as we've talked about earlier, is not something that you can do on your own. It is a grace from the Holy Spirit. No one, without the help of the Holy Spirit, can come to love Christ, and thus hate sin. We are all, due to our fallen natures, Completely turned against Christ and inclined towards sin and evil. This is another reason why um, that repentance is solely a grace from the Lord, because we are turned away from sin or turned away from Christ completely and towards sin. But as once we were born again as Christians, God has given us the Holy Spirit, who creates in us more and more of a hatred towards sin in our hearts, and He does this as we actively cultivate an intimate relationship with Christ where we seek to know him through his word and through prayer, the ordinary means of grace I talked about earlier, which happen most in the context of a local church. If you take a hold of these means of grace, the word and prayer, God will cultivate in you an increasing love for Christ, and because of that, and through that, an increasing hatred for sin. So next, the final ingredient, ingredient number six is turning from sin. This one may seem obvious. Of course repentance would be turning from sin. Maybe you thought that's just all what what repentance is about altogether, is just turning from sin. That's a huge part of it. Um, But the reason this needs to be discussed by itself as an ingredient is that this is probably the ingredient of repentance that is most often wrongly done or even done in a fake way. God cares about how and why we turn from sin and what we turn to as much as he cares about the mere fact that we just turn from sin. He cares about how and why we turn from sin. And there are a few ways you might turn from sin in a wrong way. The first way is you attempt to turn from sin in order to gain right standing with God in was called works righteousness, which we talked about earlier under confession. And Ironically, works righteousness will not work because no matter what you do, you still won't be completely not a sinner while on the side of heaven, so you cannot gain right standing with God on your own. You need a perfect substitute, Christ, to represent you in your place. And additionally, it's idolatry because rather than trusting in um, Christ and in the solution God has provided to fix your sin problem, if you are trying to do this, you're trying to turn from your sin on your own. So you are trusting in yourself rather than in God. And that is adultery, too. The next problem is um, similar to the last one, but it is one that even many well meaning Christians will fall into all time. And this problem is when you attempt to do this step, turning from sin, without first spending time in sorrow and shame, some of the other ingredients. I have fallen to this error plenty of times. After sinning and feeling convicted about sinning, I'll just start thinking, okay, um, what can I do to not sin the next time? And start formulating a plan in my mind about all the ways I can, all things I can do to, to not sin the next time. But just as much as the first error, this error involves relying on ourselves to solve our sin problem rather than relying on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit graciously gives us these feelings of sorrow and shame for a reason. Uh, We should not just run away from them. He gives us sorrow and shame because God wants us to turn away from our sin and towards loving Christ with our whole heart. And spending time deep in sorrow and shame for our own sin molds our hearts so that they hate sin and that they love Christ. That is God changing our affections when we have that sorrow and shame. That is the Holy Spirit telling us that we hate sin and that we love Christ. Repentance requires turning from sin, of course, but as David says that the sacrifices of God are broken and sorrowful heart, you must consider that God cares a lot about what your heart posture is, not just the fact that you merely turn from sin um, by using some kind of strategy to not sin the next time. You must know that turning from sin ultimately flows out of a heart posture where you are deeply humbled sorrowful, and ashamed about your sin because you love Christ. So these are the six ingredients of repentance. Repentance necessarily includes these things. It's not necessarily an an order or anything like that, six steps in a row, but it it usually it necessarily includes these things, and these things all go together and inform each other. But at a heart posture level, Godly godly repentance can ultimately, ultimately be summed up with two words, humility and obedience. Humility and obedience. And when we follow these six ingredients of repentance, we are humbling ourselves before the God that created us, acknowledging our offense against him, and recognizing that only he can save us through his son, Jesus Christ. We are then responding not by our own strength, but by relying on the help of the Holy Spirit and loving obedience to Christ and then um, loving obedience to Christ. And repentance is coming to a full understanding of the brokenness that exists within ourselves, Uh, and then turning to God, who is perfectly holy, loving, and good, and has offered salvation to us in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Christ. I think this all is summed up best in probably my favorite quote of all time from a theologian named John Calvin, which I will read a part of. Uh, Heavily edited, because there are hard words in it. Uh, Our feeling of ignorance, vanity, inadequacy, weakness, and weakness, which all comes from our depravity and corruption, reminds us that in the Lord, and in the Lord alone, dwells the true light of wisdom, solid virtue, and infinite goodness. We are thus urged by our own sin to consider the good things of God, and indeed, we cannot seek him genuinely until we have begun to be displeased with ourselves. Let me close this in prayer.